Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to another fantastic episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. This week, I sit down with Peter Greer, President and CEO of Hope International, a Christ-centered micro-enterprise development organization serving across the globe. Peter speaks and writes on the intersection of faith and international development. His latest book, Rooting for Rivals, was co-authored with Chris Horst and shares how ministries can multiply when they focus on cooperating versus competing. On this week's episode, Peter and I discuss the often unspoken tension that many pastors sense around the idea of competing with the church down the road. Peter shares some great insights into developing a mindset of collaboration and generosity in your church and how that can impact God's work in your city. Some very thought-provoking dialogue that I believe will positively challenge you and your church. So please join me in my conversation with Peter Greer. Peter, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Great to have you with us today. I've been looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Now, Peter, at Hope International, you and your team are involved around the world in microenterprise and, and everything you do, and I absolutely love this, everything is Christ-centered. So before we jump into our conversation today about the struggles with competition and ministry, can you briefly share a bit about Hope International? Yeah, so uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, there was a church here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is where I live, that understood uh, that uh, where there is suffering, where there is need, that is an invitation for us to show up. And so they took that call seriously. And uh, initially they gave away food and supplies and built church buildings and did this year after year until a pastor in Zaporozhye, Ukraine, pulled this team aside and uh, said, uh, in essence, we appreciate your help. We appreciate your generosity, but your help isn't helping us anymore. And um, they found out that this form of aid was uh, having some unintended consequences on creating dependency, on on uh, creating an idea that missions was something that foreigners do when they arrive, as opposed to the call for all of us to be involved in loving God and loving our neighbors. And um, and so that conversation uh, with Pastor Petrenko, that really shifted the way that the organization responded, still believing we have this call to show up in the world's broken places, but change the tools that we use and uh, really shifting from a model that was primarily around aid to a model that was much more empowering. Um, and, and so today, Hope International is focused on Christ-centered job creation, economic development, still that same heart to see individuals and families flourish, still that same heart to share the love of Jesus. But the tools that we use have dramatically changed from more of a handout model uh, to now a model of savings mobilization and entrepreneurship training and, and tools that are designed to help people uh, use their God-given gifts and abilities to provide for their families. So that's it. Same heart, but dramatically changed approach in the way that we think about helping uh, individuals around the world. That's very cool, Peter. And, and I know in your, your work um, around the world, globally, you've had the opportunity to um, be engaged and involved with lots of different ministries, nonprofits, many different churches. And one of the things that, that we're going to kind of focus in on today in our conversation is this tension that that so many pastors and ministry leaders sense when it comes to really these feelings of competition with the church down the street or maybe the ministry organization across town. 
Peter, why does a mindset of competition seem to come more easily to us than a mindset of collaboration? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm positive that many of the listeners, uh, many of the church leaders, many of the ministry leaders uh, could give you a much better uh, answer and unpack that. But I can tell you that when I started uh, with the organization that I'm working with, one of the first things that I did was to create a chart on my wall that looked at the growth rate, not just of the organization I'm with, but, but comparing that growth rate to other organizations. And it was toxic uh, to my heart. Um, and part of the reason is because it identified these other organizations and instead of setting this up to celebrate their success and be the first person to be cheering them on, when other organizations seem to experience a more rapid period of growth, I was left uh, feeling more envious. Um, I identified them as my competition and, uh, and it was toxic uh, to myself and to the broader kingdom impact. And, and so I don't know really where this stems from. Maybe it stems from this desire to feel uh, that, that, that we're measuring up. Uh, maybe it comes from this uh, competitive uh, nature that many of us have. Maybe it was, uh, maybe sports were a big part of, of a lot of our lives growing up and maybe we carried that in. Maybe it's a spillover in a really unhealthy way from kind of maybe the way that we interpret the business landscape and try to run organizations uh, with excellence. So I'm not sure where it comes from, but I can tell you this idea of comparison is toxic to the broader impact that I believe we are invited to have when we no longer see others as rivals uh, or as competitors, but as friends and allies and brothers and sisters that we're going to be spending all eternity with. That's good. Now, one thing that can be damaging, as you said, is um, comparing ourselves, you know, comparing our church to another church, or our organization to another organization. But can't we also be inspired by what um, other churches or other organizations might be doing? Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think this is part of the reason why it's it's kind of difficult, because we do want to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We do want to encourage each other. We do want to continue to raise the bar. Um, but I think the big uh, difference in that is, 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 is something that is really difficult to, to get at the core, but it's really our heart posture in, in the way that we're thinking about these issues. And uh, I was talking to a pastor friend um, who told me about Dallas Willard and, and how Dallas Willard um, was sharing that every time that he spoke, um, his focus was not just on the words that he was speaking, but really praying for the other individuals that were going to be speaking before or after him or other churches that are down the road. And really his focus uh, was not on himself. Uh, his focus was on others. And, um, and I love that approach. Um, in some small way, I do wonder how much of our prayer life how much uh, of it is focused on other peers, uh, focused on God's blessing on other individuals that, that the world might look at and say, well, that might be a rival church. How much of our attention is praying for God's uh, hand of favor and blessing to be on them? Um, and, and again, uh, from my friend Brian and how he shared about Dallas Willard, it just seemed like his primary preoccupation was was not this inward fro focus, but was an external focus, believing that their calling was not just about their small church or their small organization, 
but it was really about the bigger, more expansive, much more beautiful kingdom of God. And I, I really long for that to capture our attention, that we get beyond ourselves, we get beyond our little metrics, we get beyond our smaller boundaries and are invited into a much bigger and grander story about what God is doing through all of us together. Yeah, I, I love that, Peter. And a lot of what you um, speak on and write on is this idea of uh, collaborating and cooperating with those churches or those organizations that, that we sometimes might— um, we might not admit it, but we might look at it as competition. But setting competition aside and really collaborating with them, cooperating with them. Uh, one, one of the questions that comes up, and I know in um, in cities, whenever churches are kind of coming together and looking at cooperating, uh, one of the concerns that I've heard from pastors is that, you know, well, what if our beliefs and our practices don't necessarily, you know, align perfectly with with these other churches. How can we cooperate or how can we collaborate if we can't ag- agree on all of these things? What would you say to pastors who are kind of wrestling through some of those questions? Yeah, it's really interesting. And maybe part of it is to take a step back and to look at uh, maybe maybe before you get into some of the details, uh, maybe to take a step back and imagine the possibilities of what might happen if we could have more collaboration, if we could have a different picture that the world sees. And in a divided world, does the world see that same division when it looks at the church? Um, and and I think about uh, what is happening right now within the Bible translation movement and how crazy inspiring this has been. But I had a foundation friend who told me that there were three different organizations that came to him asking for funding to translate the Bible into the same language for the same people group. And these three organizations seemed almost blind to the fact that they were replicating each other's work. And so a group of donors, a group of organizations came together and they said, what if we what if we have a, a shared uh, goal of having the Bible translated into every single language? What if we came together? What if we accelerated the way that we partner, collaborate and learn these lessons together? And the net result is they were on track to have the Bible translated into every language by the year 2150. But because of collaboration, because of partnership, they're now on track to see the Bible translated into every language by the year 2033. They just took off 117 years off that pace of translation. And, And I believe that what is true in the whole space of Bible translation, that imagine the impact. If, if a group of churches said, instead of just having our vision for our church, what if we had a vision for our city? And what if we could identify some shared goals that we have? Um, what if we could have this idea of, of inviting others in? And if you have that shared vision, if you have those shared outcomes, it doesn't mean you're going to agree on every single piece. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to have uh, uniformity of thought. But my guess is if a group of churches came together, they could come up with some pretty big and grand uh, things that they could do to be a blessing to their city that would be possible even if they didn't agree on every single uh, piece uh, or, or, or aspect of, of who they are and what they do. So I think there's uh, perhaps a little more vision casting about what do we have in common? What is it that we want to do? And I think those forms of collaboration paint a picture to a divided world of what might be possible if uh, we leave our egos and logos at the door and start to, uh, to paint a very different picture of brothers and sisters uh, for the world to see. Yeah, and that's awesome. And as I'm thinking about 
you know, churches collaborating across the city. Uh, one of the things, Peter, that, that I love about that is it doesn't matter how big or how small your church is. If you have a, a, a shared vision and shared goal, every church can contribute in whatever way that church can contribute. And together, uh, those churches of varying sizes are all reaching that goal to bless their city um, better because everyone's involved in some way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jim Tyson uh, is a pastor here in Pennsylvania, not too far away from where I live, and and his church is uh, less than a couple hundred, and uh, and yet they are having an outsized impact uh, because instead of creating new uh, initiatives and new programs. They're basically saying, let's find the best things that are happening through other churches, through other ministries, and let's send out our congregation to participate in what these other churches and what these other organizations are doing. And I love that approach because it is so clear that his focus is on the kingdom. His focus is on supporting and having an impact as opposed to, well, it's got to be our brand, it's got to be our logo, or we're not going to participate. And so I I celebrate uh, those types of examples uh, and really do believe that we could do so much more if we uh, perhaps stopped creating something new, uh, if we didn't first stop and say, well, who's already doing this? Who can we already join in? Who can we support as opposed to always creating something new? I think we would have, uh, just like in the Bible translation uh, movement, we would have such a bigger impact together. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, brother. Now, Peter, in your, your new book, Rooting for Rivals, that you wrote with Chris Horst, you share a helpful two-by-two grid, which really provides a framework that reveals ways where we might be um, acting a little more tight-fisted, and it also helps us better understand how we can become more cooperative and more collaborative in ministry. And, and I've got to admit, Peter, when I first saw it, I was a little bit skeptical uh, but the more that I read the book, the more it all came together. And by the end, I was sold on how insightful this the simple little two-by-two two grid really is, right? So for our listeners, I'd like to dig a bit more deeply into some of the tensions that we find in this two-by-two two grid. But to start, Peter, these tensions are all framed within a couple of key questions, two key questions that uh, you guys came upon. The first question is, as a ministry leader— is my focus on my clan, my church, my people, or is my focus on the kingdom, right? So that's question number one. The second question is, do I have a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance? Now, Peter, it probably seems obvious now, but I was curious, how did you guys come to these two and only these two questions as being key in this whole conversation? Yeah, so I'm so grateful. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, working with Chris Horst and Jill Heisey on this. And, um, you know, part of the methodology in, in trying to unpack this issue of generosity, open-handedness, uh, collective impact within the churches and, and, and Christian ministries, um, part of the process that we went through was to identify who are those individuals that are modeling an open-handed posture? Who are those organizations that really get collaboration, get a kingdom impact approach and, and model it and are doing innovative work? And so we talked to a whole bunch of individuals, uh, pastors and leaders, and we asked them, who are individuals that are living out this type of approach? 
And then uh, some names kept rising to the top. Um, and so then we interviewed those individuals and we interviewed them trying to understand two things, not just what they do, which is interesting, but then also trying to get a layer deeper from what they do to ask a question, what do they believe? And after sorting through a whole lot of interviews, after listening to a lot of individuals, these two questions seem to consistently rise to the top uh, as really the framing questions. And and uh, extra bonus that uh, they fit pretty well on a two by two. Uh, but these two questions we believe uh, are what, uh, if you really simplify all of what we heard from all of these leaders, these two worldview questions, they consistently answer differently uh, from other organizations, other leaders that perhaps have a more difficult time uh, collaborating, partnering. And and so that was the methodology that we went through. And uh, really, as you said, it's, it's is our focus our organization or do we have a more expansive uh, goal, that being the kingdom of God? And then the second piece is do we believe the world is a world of scarcity or a world of abundance? Um, and it was interesting. Several of the people that we interviewed were uh, people that uh, referenced uh, the five loaves and two fish. Uh, mm. This idea that we always are going to feel like what we have is so small compared to the global need or whatever it is that we're trying to do. We never feel like we have enough. And yet, uh, watch what happens uh, when the God of abundance uh, is involved. Watch what happens. And so this idea of of an abundant worldview where we're free from trying to fight over a little bigger piece of a very small pie to the belief that our God is a God of abundance. That's awesome, Peter. Now, as you work through this two-by-two two grid, really we, we work through all of these different tensions and, and you lay some of these tensions out in your book. So like, for example, pride versus humility or greed versus generosity. I want to dig a little bit more deeply into one of these tensions that you spend a lot of time on in the book, and that is envy versus contentment. Um, because as I was, I was reading that chapter, really, I think this is this is one of those tensions that every pastor struggles with at some point. I know I, I have as a pastor. Um, many pastors struggle with this throughout their lives. Um, you share that pastors could really have um, really have a kingdom mindset, but still struggle with envy. Mm. So they've got they've got a kingdom mindset, perhaps. And I think a lot of pastors, they feel and they sense that they have a kingdom mindset, yet they still struggle with envy. How is that so that we struggle with envy even when we have a kingdom mindset? Yeah. And in many ways, uh, it has never been uh, easier to compare ourselves to others. Um, and in many ways, every pastor, uh, so I'm a pastor's kid and, um, uh, spend a whole lot of time. We have so many church, um, uh, partnerships and, and, um, and I have such a high degree of admiration and respect, uh, for the impact that pastors are having. Um, but one of the things that, uh, we, in the world in which we live is that every pastor is now not just compared to the pastors in the local area. They're compared to the pastors whose podcasts people are listening to and the pastors that we see these unbelievable sermons and illustrations on YouTube or, or social media. And, and so this idea of constantly being compared, I believe, uh, well, as Proverbs says, that envy rots the bones. Um, and, and I believe that that is a huge challenge today 
um, always has been a challenge, but even more when comparison is so easy. And so what does comparison do? It causes us to look at what others have and to, in some small way, wish that we had it. Um, and I have felt that when I hear other speakers uh, that give these compelling talks. Um, and I remember uh, one nonprofit leader who gave this incredible talk. And I was supposed to go up next. And as he kept going on telling his story, I think physically my posture, I started to slump more and more down in my seat. And uh, remember a friend uh, told me, you know, you, you realize, Peter, this is not uh, like a singing competition, right? You realize that this is not a you versus someone else. You realize that you're on the same team, right? And so I think that uh, this issue of comparison, where we're comparing ourselves to others, oh, it does nothing uh, but either puff us up if we feel like we're stacking up pretty well, uh, let pride really take root of our heart, or cause us to fall into this sense of despondency of I'll never measure up, I can't be as good as that person. And so I think part of the freedom uh, from this aspect of, of envy uh, is, is the idea of how do we celebrate? Um, how do we celebrate uh, others and how do we find contentment with what God has given us? Um, and I think of the Tim Keller line where he talks about it's not thinking too highly of ourselves, It's not thinking too lowly of ourselves. It's just thinking of ourselves less. Um, and uh, again, that Dallas Willard example where it seems like his preoccupation was just refusing to play the game of comparison and instead finding contentment with what God has given you and being free from the toxicity of comparison. That, that's good. One of, one of the things that you talk about is a willingness to to share mistakes or share failures with others and how that plays into kind of overcoming some of these competitive tendencies that we might have and even envy. Can you talk a little bit more about the value of of sharing our mistakes and sharing our failures and how that contributes to collaboration and cooperation. Mm. Yeah, there's a musician, Thad Cockrell, who has a line uh, where he says, uh, in essence, that our, our strengths divide us, uh, but our weakness unites us. Uh, and and that's a little countercultural. That's a little counterintuitive, but we know that it's true. Uh, when we see someone and uh, all that you hear is how everything is going well, all you hear of is victory after victory. Uh, that doesn't create relationship. When we admit that we need each other, when we admit that we don't always have it all together, when we open ourselves up to real relationship, which is not just touting our successes, but sharing some of our challenges, uh, that's where the good stuff of relationship comes from. And so, yeah, that aspect of how do we uh, maybe as Paul says, uh, not be afraid to boast in our, our weakness a little bit more. Um, how do we, um, how do we uh, pop the veneer or pop the image as if we have everything together? Um, and 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 I, I do believe that when we do that, uh, relationships happen, partnerships are easier, collaboration is more of a possibility as opposed to when we project an image that we have it all together. We couldn't possibly need anything from others. That isolates, that insulates, uh, and that causes obstacles to real partnership and collaboration to form. Yeah, that's good. Peter, I was thinking as I was reading through the book, you know, from a pastor's perspective, this idea of collaborating with other churches and, and um, kind of 
processing through, you know, some of these tensions, um, like we said, pride versus humility or sloth versus steadfastness, these different things. And, and one of the things that I know that um, uh, a lot of pastors have to come to terms with at some point in their ministry is when a family might leave their church and go to another church across town. How can a pastor, you know, really kind of respond to that in a way that's going to be um, healthy? Mm, Yeah. So again, growing up as a pastor's kid, I remember very clearly uh, when uh, there were family friends, uh, there were uh, key church members uh, that decided to go to another church, and it hurts. And anyone who says that it doesn't hurt, oh, I don't know if they found some secret, but (laughs) I think it hurts, uh, and it hurts deeply. And so two things, though, as we were doing the research, there's two things that stand out uh, to me um, in this. And one was a pastor who talked about how there was another church, both around 200, and then uh, the other church ended up having this rapid season of growth and went from 200 to 500. And he said, at that moment, there is a key question that you face. Uh, There is a key question that you face. And the question is, did we just go down 300? Or did the kingdom go up 300? Oh, wow. um, and and that's sort of an approach. That's a kingdom over clan approach. That's a kingdom over club where the kingdom math says that's plus 300. Um, and to celebrate that. Another example uh, that, that struck me is a pastor uh, locally here who, uh, when he does the morning announcements, um, he talks about how, you know, so glad you're here. We want to welcome And if this isn't the right church for you, um, we have a a list of other churches in the area, a lot of great churches. And if we could be helpful in connecting you to one of these other churches, it would be our privilege to do so. And he's saying this as part of the welcome (laughs) individuals. Like, that's crazy. Who does that? But again, it's because they believe that when someone goes to the other church, they are not walking away from the family of God. Right. Um, and and hearts break when someone uh, walks away from the faith. Maybe feelings are hurt when someone transfers to another church. But I think if our focus is let's let's expand the kingdom together, uh, that perhaps uh, can give a little bit of a different framework. Uh, so I like the math that says if you just went up 300, I didn't go down. Uh, the kingdom went up as long as the net is positive. Uh, we, we, we are seeing growth for all of us. Right. No, that's good. That's good. Thank you, Peter. That's helpful. Now, one of the things that you um, write about and talk about a lot as well in this idea of collaborating uh, versus competing is this idea of um, open source ministry. Can you kind of dig in a little bit to, to what you mean by kind of open source ministry and what that might look like um, on a local church level? Yeah, so, you know, one of the moments that caused me to realize that we have a little bit of a challenge here was when uh, we had a a devotional that we had released. It was a video devotional, and it was built around Exodus 4-2, when God asks Moses, what's in your hand? And uh, we have seen this around the world, that oftentimes God chooses to do the miraculous through what we already have um, in many ways. And uh, again, the five loaves and two fish, uh, the slingshot and stones that oftentimes God uses what we already have. 
Um, and so as we kind of shared this devotional that one of our African leaders, um, uh, uh, Pastor Rissa, um, shared with us, the first call that I received was one that I wasn't expecting. And it was from another organization, another ministry that asked us to stop using uh, Exodus 4-2 um, in the way that we were uh, in in the way that we were um, uh, doing it. And the reason surprised me. Um, they shared that they had uh, trademarked that verse. And what? <laughs> that, that, was, that was that was my response as well. Uh, there were two two kind of responses. One is I didn't know you could trade right. And the second though is wait a minute, why in the world would you want to right, trade right. verse? And the reality was that was from a worldview of of scarcity. Um, that was from a worldview that said if someone else uses this, that might mean less recognition for us. Just the final piece of that story uh, was not uh, too long after that. There was another organization that used that same verse and how they were talking about their work. And my initial response was, uh, I, I think I have a little bit of kind of amnesia, um, but my response at that moment was, wait a minute, they're telling their organizational story using our verse. How quickly <laughs> I had taken that on. And oftentimes it's easy to see uh, the splinters in others as opposed to the logs in our own eyes. Um, but uh, yeah, it just was this example where I was so misguided because I was focused um, on on this idea of of a worldview that says there's not enough for all of us, as opposed to if anyone else is using that, uh, we want to celebrate that. And how that then translate into open source? It was kind of coming from that that we realized our tendency to become tight-fisted and and so quickly to take whether it's a verse or whether it's something that we've been given and to slowly claim it as ours. Um, I want to have an approach that says everything that we have is a gift. As Paul writes, what do you have that you haven't been given? If we see everything as a gift, then how can we not share it with others? And so whether it's uh, an employee manual, whether it's our core operating model, whether it is our materials, uh, whether it is churches uh, open sourcing all of their uh, campaigns, I believe that a theology that says everything we have is a gift how could we not use it to share with others, to accelerate their pace, to accelerate, uh, to avoid unnecessary replication? And so one of the ways that we've seen leaders living out this rooting for rivals approach is by being radically open-handed with anything that they have to try and use it to bless uh, others. So maybe there's a VBS uh, whole kit and and instead of uh, destroying that at the end, maybe there's another church that can use those same materials when they have something coming up. Or maybe it's a, a great design, a marketing. Maybe it's a campaign around that, as Life Church does. And maybe it's just making that available to other churches that would like to do a similar uh, approach or story. And, and I really think that posture of open-handedness, uh, it will mean that collectively we can have a far greater impact than if we're all replicating and, and doing our own things and missing out on the opportunity to learn with and from others. That's excellent, Peter. Now, I, I, I must say that I really enjoyed your book, Rooting for Rivals. Excellent, excellent stuff. And um, if, if you have enjoyed what we've been talking about today and um, some of these tensions that we might um, be wrestling through in, in ministry— and how do we become more collaborative? How do we become more generous? 
how do we become more open-handed, as Peter has said. I really encourage you to, uh, to pick up the book and read through it. Take your leadership team through it. It's powerful. Peter, before we go, you have the ear of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pastors. Um, is there anything maybe that we didn't touch on yet that uh, you would like to share with pastors who are listening in today? Two final thoughts. One is thank you. Uh, again, as a pastor's kid, I have a little bit of an insight into uh, what it looks like uh, to do the work that you do, and uh, it is important. Uh, do not lose hope and and keep on, keep on doing it. And then uh, second uh, thing, again, this doesn't relate to rooting it for rivals at all, but I know the tendency is always to be externally focused. And and I, I know that one of the greatest gifts that my dad ever gave me is that um, that there was a an alignment between what he would preach from the pulpit on Sunday morning and what he would live for the rest of the week. And, and so I just would encourage it, don't, don't lose sight of the opportunity that you have to not just impact people that are there, but people closest to you are watching um, and uh, I, I, I hope, I'm cheering you on, not just as you do the work in leading and growing uh, and serving at church, but also in the other roles that you have uh, at home and with your friends, uh, knowing that that impact is deep as well. And um, yeah, I, I just so appreciate, so appreciate the work that you do faithfully uh, preaching uh, in and out of season, faithfully leading people uh, to our mighty God, and uh, so much appreciation and respect for, for all of the people that have chosen uh, to follow God's leading in that way. Amen, Peter. Thank you so much. Um, now, Peter, how can people connect with you, learn more about Hope International, learn more about Rooting for Rivals, the book that you guys have? Yeah, easiest way probably is just rootingforrivals.com um, and uh, rootingforrivals.com and that'll take you to a page with more information about the book. And then uh, also that's uh, where uh, you can also connect with me, blog and and uh, other things that we've written, other resources that we have. Um, and uh, truly, if we could try and be of any help, we would love to do so as we are cheering for all of you. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for um taking your time to be with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Peter, God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much. You as well. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.